everyone, and welcome to episode 80 of the High Sensitivity Gaming Podcast. First, thank you for listening, and if it's your first time here, we talk about video game and movie news as well. We watched or played over the week and give our impressions. My name is Barry, along with my co-host. My name is Craig. Welcome to Spooky Season. Spooky Season, the first, this yep. this will be the first episode, no wait, this is the second one in October now. <laughs> it's not even the first one, I just felt like saying it now. Oh, fair enough. But it, we're close enough to Halloween. We're getting yeah. closer and closer, so it's closer to spooky season than ever before. It's true. But what's not spooky is the news, which is our first subject of matter here. We don't Could know. Could be spooky. <laughs> uh, but first off, I guess what I'll talk about first is the crazy Adidas Xbox sneakers I saw online. Uh, there's not much to them. Uh, Xbox paired with Adidas to make these neon green type shoes where the kind of the laces and the buckles make an X like Xbox. So uh, if you can pull it off for a shoe fanatic, you're probably trying to get your hands on these. But overall, you know, it's gaming. uh, Gaming is becoming more of a crossover now into modern culture than ever before. And we're starting to see, you know, Xbox shoes. They're already PlayStation shoes. So, you know, they're just jumping on the bandwagon here. Yeah, jumps into ties into their 20 year anniversary because they have the headset and the controller coming out, um, I think sometime soon. So I guess you could get all three and just be styling everywhere you go, I guess. I never really bought into the like clothing of consoles that I owned. Uh, I don't know. I know some people do. I just don't really wear them. I don't really wear too many like video game themed clothes, though. Yeah, like I. I when the PS5 came out, there was the like the P- the PlayStation's uh, like clothing selection, which mm-hmm. I actually thought looked pretty good because it's not like weird because th- that's the problem we have is a lot of the video game shirts you get are like really tacky or obvious and are usually made cheap. But yeah. the PlayStation stuff and much like these Xbox uh, shoes are made by, you know, American Eagle with PlayStation or with Adidas and these Xbox. So you know, they're going to be made of quality. So they're actually, you know, good. And, you know, I get uh, kind of like I because I have both of the sweaters from American Eagle for like PlayStation, like, you know, there's nobody coming up to me going, oh, you're a PlayStation fanboy and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like this nice, simple repping of like what I like that isn't too obvious that makes, you know, uh, antisocial like person like me kind of be like, "Eh, I wish I didn't wear this anymore. Yeah, it would have to be super subtle for me to wear it. Like, I don't think I could go out with just like that. The T-shirt with the big Xbox logo on the front. Like, I don't think I could ever pull that off. Not that it's I have a problem with anybody who does, but it's just not something I think I could do. Yeah, it's it's always like when you wear something like that, you're passionate about. It's always the random person that like talks to you and you're like, I don't even know who you are. Please don't talk to me. Walk yep. away. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yep. I don't think us as gamers are supposed to, to acknowledge out in public if we're wearing clothes i guess maybe well, if it's like something super super subtle that most people wouldn't get I, I guess that'd be okay right well yeah what was funny and i'll mention this story is uh when my brother was up here in college he i think got his backpack ruined because of the rain because he walks you know a lot here a lot here in penn state and he took my zelda backpack which i had gotten when i was out of school uh <laughs> because it's just nice for carrying around stuff when and you know i'm not around in campus and he told me that he would never take that backpack down down there again because people would ask him about legend of zelda and he's like hey this is just a backpack like, i'm not trying to talk about <laughs> zelda here with my backpack so it's it's funny that uh that you know he 
even he doesn't even want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> that would definitely be one of the fan bases that I could see asking another person in public is the Zelda fan base of like, if you're wearing something there, there's a pretty good chance somebody might say something to you if they're also a Zelda fan. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's funny. And I'll never forget that story just because he, <laughs> he like stayed away from the backpack, like the plague. <laughs> that's, that's not, maybe not a bad mood if you're uh, not into <laughs> Zelda. <laughs> um, so, just we'll go off of what I said last week. We did to get the confirmation this week. So we were right that the GTA trilogy has been confirmed um, yep. coming out sometime before the end of this year, supposedly. Uh, I think the wording, I would say, don't get your hopes up that it's going to look much better than the original. Um, I think they did use the word remaster, but I don't know. Just the way it was worded, I, I don't think this is going to be like much, much better, like major graphical improvements. I think it's just going to be 4K resolution upscaled and smoothed out a little bit would be my guess. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It, it's too bad. I really did want like a kind of a good rehaul yeah. of the GTAs because I never played those original three. So I was actually kind of I am I am excited for it regardless. But I guess we're going to have to see what, you know, these what they do change and what they do to make it look better, because, you know, from what we've seen, it like and videos that I've seen from these older games, they they've they've aged. Like, oh, yeah. No hiding that. Yep. So at least if you do like a decent amount of like a remake or make over to these things, then maybe it doesn't look as bad and it won't show his age as much. But nonetheless, I'm excited to play, you know, especially Vice City. I mean, you know, yeah. excited to play that one. Depending on how it looks when we actually get a good look at it. If it's not like a major, major improvement that I'm going to notice on an Xbox or a PlayStation 5, I would be tempted to get it on Switch just for the fact that I could play it portable because I think that would yeah. be cool to do too. But if there is a decent improvement, I'll end up getting it for one of the other consoles instead. Uh, going along with just a small little news story here, as everybody knows me, I'm the Persona guy on the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, Persona is celebrating. Uh, it's, I think, 20th or 25th anniversary. I can't remember which one, and I'm a bad fan for not remembering it. <laughs> but they've announced uh, that they are making a physical card game along with their personas, along with their uh, persona games and other announcements that they'll be making throughout the year. I just thought this was something that was funny because they're kind of a year late to the <laughs> card game fanatic franchise where, you know, yeah, these will sell because people love persona and people will buy it and that kind of thing. But I feel like the only reason they're doing cards is because, you know, last year and the year before there was kind of the pandemic with sports cards and cards in general, where, you really couldn't buy them or you were waiting in line for them. And it's still even going on with Pokemon. And I think Persona might be trying to catch a little bit of that uh, money because Pokemon is like its card game is skyrocketed in value since uh, since the pandemic hit. And it seems to have stayed since we've kind of well, not that the pandemic is over, but um, now that people are vaccinated, it only seems to be more popular now. You can barely find Pokemon cards now out in the wild. Uh, excuse me for the you know the <laughs> irony there yeah of that joke so um nonetheless you know if if you're interested it seemed like a very small news story so i just wanted to make sure people knew about it in case you're interested in persona cards is it like a so. a full-blown like card game like yeah, with rule okay all right could be interesting yeah i i'd have to see the rules they haven't explained yeah. much about the rules or anything you know maybe it's a game that you know you could have fun with your friends playing but i 
I've collected cards and I know how expensive and everything that they get. So I try to stay away from you know, card games. Yeah, me too. Um, today of our recording is official Back for Blood release day. Uh, so makes sense that we talk about the single player issues that are going on. Um, full disclosure, I have not played it yet. Um, of all the other games, I was trying to get at least a good early impression on. This is the one that I decided that I will play this week and talk about it next week. But if you're intending to play Back for Blood single player, they did put it out there that any single player that you do, you will not get achievements or trophies, and it will not also allow you to progress on your character or level up. Seems like a strange move. I can see what their thought process is, that maybe you could kind of use it to cheese your way up for you know progression, I guess. But to me, that's a big like a big hit. I don't know how many of my friends are going to be playing this game and trying to play a co-op game like this with randoms never usually goes well. So if like the friends I have don't stick with this game, then it may mean that I end up stop playing it as well, just because I, I don't see myself wanting to play with randoms all the time. So I would have used a single player for sure. Um, I did a ton of single player and left for dead. It was just kind of a bummer to see that. Yeah, uh, I do have a little bit of Back for Blood early impressions, but I'm going to save that for games. Like I literally played half an hour before we got okay. to the podcast here, so I'll I'll save my Back for Blood early impressions there. But I, I will admit, like it seems like they're kind of maybe hopefully they'll fix their mistake because you know this. I remember this was something that Call of Duty used to do, yeah. where Call of Duty used to have separate levels for the uh, zombies the multiplayer mode and then i forget which game also had a third mode but you know they used to separate the those levels but now more modern call of duty games go ahead and like streamline those levels so no matter what level you're at you can get the bonuses and everything goes throughout everything uh through all game modes which is something they should definitely do because you know trying to trying to grind through and forced to play with others isn't really what everybody wants to do no not everybody wants to play with um play back for blood with their friends you know it's as much as there is a four-player co-op uh focus to the game not everybody wants to do that not everybody wants to play that way so it kind of just feels like you're alienating a part of your while probably small a small part of your demographic who want to play your game yeah i agree it just seemed kind of something they didn't need to happen. Uh, so it may end up hurting them. It may not. Well, I guess we'll find out. But um, hopefully I can find at least one other person, preferably three other people who will continue to play this to at least get through the campaign. Yeah, and we'll talk about more campaign yeah. in the early impressions part. Uh, while we're speaking of stuff that released, we're going to go ahead and talk about the Switch OLED release and how uh, it's kind of mixed in a lot of ways. Now, both of us do not have Switch OLEDs, but I did get my hands on one. A buddy of mine did get one. It was his first Switch, and he brought it up, and I helped him set it up. So I have a little bit of uh, just first onboard impressions. Uh, overall, what you'll read in the reviews everywhere is true. Uh, the bigger screen makes a bigger difference than I expected, and the OLED screen is very vibrant, and it is, I'd say it's pretty bright, and... The like the OLED, what OLED brings to the switch is nice, but you're only really going to find those benefits in handheld mode. If you are a person that plays your switch docked, you aren't going to see the the benefits of what the switch OLED can do. 
yes, the dock is slightly improved, but to, to be honest, you know, the, what the dock brings is pretty much a wired land port, which you just get an adapter for. And that's while people are saying, you know, that could be a bit of a pain. Like you can find these things for five, 10, 15 bucks and have a land port on your switch and it works just as fine. So, you know, overall, if you're a first time, first time switch buyer, yeah, you'll probably want to buy the OLED. It's one of the best versions. And if you plan on playing it portably, there's kind of no doubt this is what you should be buying. But if you're somebody who maybe wants to save 50 bucks and get a game and you really, you know, want to kind of balance what you're paying for there, getting the getting the older switch and playing it docked or just playing with what you get there, you know, you can use those 50 bucks on a game yeah. instead of uh, having nothing at launch. So that's those are just my opinions that it's, it's not that big of a difference for switch. But if if you're a portable player, this is definitely the one you should be getting. Yeah, I I don't I can't find a way to justify it for somebody like myself who already has a switch to get this. I just don't think there's enough there to justify buying another one. Um, I know like GameStop was doing a trade in deal on switches that made me ponder it for a minute. I think it would have ended up paying like <laughs> an extra uh, like a hundred dollars maybe with the trade in on getting it. But okay. again, I we both have like the original switch um, and mine's still working fine. Uh, so I don't have a reason, but for sure, like if you don't have a switch, this is obviously the one to get. Um, yeah, you know, it's a no brainer, but I'm still holding out hope for a switch pro somewhere down the line, but we'll see. Yeah. There's, you know, we didn't, I, I don't have it in my plans to talk about, but there are rumors now swirling everywhere yeah. that Nintendo developers have a 4k, uh, like prototype of the switch. And even though they all deny that, um, Nintendo even said that if there is a 4K model, it's not coming out till late next year, which kind of feels like a really dumb way to do things. If I'm being honest, you know, you're going to be releasing, you've already released this OLED version of the switch. And now next year you might have another version of the switch coming out. Like you're just trying to get anybody you can to just buy your console at that point. And yeah. coming out with yearly revisions doesn't necessarily look good for the longevity of your console. Yeah. See what and there was also the rumors out there that uh, developers were already making 4K versions of games for the Switch. Yeah. I don't know if that was in like just preparation or if they know something. Maybe they do. Um, but I mean, that's what everybody really wants. So I wouldn't be surprised if they have one at least partially ready to go. Yeah. So let's just see uh, how it goes there. All right. Uh, another one that just came up today that I saw. Uh, it's an interesting message from call of duty today and activision uh if you go to our instagram account i did put it up on there their message uh but it was a message to all the cheaters (laughs) and i found it interesting that you know it's basically to summarize it is we want everybody to enjoy playing our game cheating is making people not enjoy the game if you cheat um we'll see you tomorrow (laughs) which is a very cryptic and interesting way to do it I would assume this means that they're putting anti-cheat software into the war zone tomorrow would be my guess. Um, it's been needed for a long time. It's definitely made me step away from war zone was just how rampant the hacking was. So I'm all about it. And I thought the message was kind of cool. Yeah, I, I did read that before we came to record. Uh, I think it's good. It's just too bad that it seems like it could be too little too late. Yeah. 
for for Infinity Ward here. You know, more people are jumping onto Apex and trying to just play other games at this point. It's game release season. Yeah. So if people aren't interested in your game, there are 20 other games coming out within the next two months that are going to take people's attention away from Warzone and onto their game. So you know, hopefully this fixes the problems with Warzone. Like, it's still a very popular Battle Royale. There is no doubt about that. But... I don't know if this is going to necessarily bring that player base back yeah. for, for how long it's taken them to implement this anti-cheat. I think it's more in preparation for them for Vanguard coming out and then integrating Vanguard into Warzone. I think that's probably what they're leaning towards um, because inevitably when the new Call of Duty comes out, you're going to get more influx back into your Warzone player count. Uh, so whether that sticks or not, I don't know, but maybe having this in place will help people stick around a little bit longer. Exactly. Uh, next one I wanted to talk about was the Kotaku article on Metroid dread and emulation. Now Kotaku released a whole, a whole article about emulation when it comes to game preserving and everything like that. And they mentioned the new Metroid dread. Now in the original, I, I unfortunately don't have the screen capture, but you can find it. In the original article, the interpretation was that the writer was telling you to emulate the new Metroid Dread game uh, that quickly went viral online for a lot of people hating on the take and a lot of people liking the take. And we'll get into the kind of the ins and out of emulation after I read their comment. But on two days ago, October 10th, uh, they released a statement on the article that updated it and changed the wording. That said, an earlier version of this story understood by many readers to be a direct suggestion to illegally download this just-released game. We regret this interpretation. Kotaku believes emulation is a vital part of the world of gaming, not least when it comes to game preservation. While not directly encouraging anyone to break the law and download games they have not purchased, we believe our readers are intelligent adults capable of making such choices for themselves <laughs> independently of us. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> mm, that's uh th that's a stretch you yeah. um th the thing is is yeah most people are adults but they're going to treat it like a kid yeah uh, that's just how the internet works with what they were saying during that article and for them you know there's kind of a mix back and forth and i think we both kind of agree on this thing emulation is good for preserving game history games that aren't being made anymore and games yep. that people want to play should not cost them 300 some odd dollars to get Fire Emblem Path of Radiance for GameCube yeah. because some collector wants to be like, oh, I know I can charge this much money because the game isn't in production anymore. And that's kind of the issue we have with gaming and collecting right now is the fact that everybody wants to make a dime on whatever is being released. So... In, th in that kind of case, I do agree with emulation. It's a it's a vital part of preserving history of gaming because as consoles get older, like the N64 and, and GameCube, it's going to be harder to fix these devices and it's going to be harder to play games on them. So emulating is a great way to preserve that software because it's just code and it's based on an application in the internet where the internet's forever and God forbid the internet dies or something or go down. Um it's going to it's going to have a permanent place in history when it comes to pirating new games. Uh, I've that's where I tend to draw the line. And I imagine you would as well, Craig. 
yep. when new games are supposed to be when you buy things. Yes, you're technically, you know, Nintendo is going to see a bigger amount of those profits than what a small developer would. But it's still it. it uh, the fact is, is the numbers are tracked. And if you're buying this game using your money, those things get tracked and the developer makes a small amount of money. But what it also does is show support for their game. So if Metroid Dread here were to sell 2 million copies, and the and if those are good numbers, according to Nintendo, they're going to be like, oh, we should come out with more Metroid games because more people want it. And this is the first time we've gotten a Metroid game in a long time, yep. uh, especially like traditional 2D. And, and that's what we kind of have to get out there, is the fact that... Um, there's a moderation to everything that everybody should do. You know, you should moderate how much food you eat, you know, the exercise, how much TV you're watching, everything like that. It's going to be the same with emulating video games and where you have to cross the line there. Yes, people are going to tell you that, oh, you know, Nintendo or Sony or Xbox are making gajillions of dollars off of this. They don't see the cut. But, you know, there are physical numbers that are tracked. And when you buy the game, uh, they're, you know, that... That's one for the developer, not so much the company, as the company's already made the money they're going to make off of that. So, you know, emulation's a tricky subject, but it's uh, it's kind of weird to have uh, Kotaku, you know, a published and well-known video game uh, website, uh, kind of say something like that. Yeah. It, I don't know if, like, it was intentional, it was just worded wrong or whatever, but, I mean, I... I agree with you. I don't think emulating brand new software is a thing that anybody should do. Um, it hurts the developers mostly, but you know, the older stuff, I don't have a, as much of a problem with somebody like myself. Like if I take a game that I liked as a kid, which was wild arms for PlayStation one. Um, I don't know how many people actually played that game, but I owned it somewhere down the line. I don't know where it went. It got misplaced somewhere. And, you know, like a couple of years ago, I was looking for it to play it. And I was like, I don't know where it went. Um, looking it up on like eBay or something like that. I think selling for like two, three hundred dollars now. Um, so in that case, like if it's something that you'd want to play and you can emulate it, I don't think that I necessarily have a problem with something that old. But for sure, these like people who are like, oh, I can emulate all of my Switch games, which I know some people personally who do do that. And like, I do not agree with that at all. But some of the older stuff, emulation does have a purpose, um, mainly the, you know, preserving aspect of it. Uh, eventually, some of these games, maybe there are no physical copies anymore, you know, and uh, as long as we have them somewhere stored on the Internet for future generations to play, then that to me, that's a plus. Yeah. yeah and even, even now, like and I'm looking at they they edited the article of course yeah even now it says there are so many good reasons to be grateful for pirates emulators modders and hackers for doing what so many big companies were keeping old games alive clearly that's not the case for metroid dread a brand new game but this is an enormous issue nintendo has to face given the relative technical uh technical inferiority of its current console at least that's what they changed it to so i'm glad they made it a lot more clear yeah but I don't know being grateful to something like pirates and hackers is <laughs> right. really the word you want to use there. Yeah. But, you know, uh, Kotaku did release a statement, and since the statement, it seems to have calmed down a little bit. But um, really, this only brings more light and f 
kind of makes people want to emulate things more. If you tell people they can get things for free, they're going to find a way to do it. Yep. Uh, and while probably emulating these Switch games takes a lot of time to learn, download a bunch of programs and everything like that, once they do it, it sounds like you could get almost any game you wanted for free. And that's, you know, for somebody like us who plays a lot of games, man, if we could get all our Switch games or every game that we ever got for free, we'd, you know, we'd be saving a ton of money. Yep. So, yeah, you know, that's that's the way to think it, because now they've only brought more light to that kind of scene. True. Very true. Um, You want to get controversial? Let's get controversial. How about that? All right. Let's, yeah. Let's, let's talk about the PlayStation 5 and Best Buy Total Tech. Let's get controversial yeah. up in here. Um, I think this is a fair story to bring up. Uh, earlier this week, we had PlayStation 5s, which are still impossible to find for the most part. Uh, available on bestbuy.com, but only if you are a registered Total Tech member. Uh, Total Tech, for those who don't know, is $200 a year. Um, you know, I guess you could look at it as a membership program, kind of like a Costco or Sam's Club, but with more added benefits than a Costco or Sam's Club. Um, a lot of people are up in arms about it. Uh, I have mixed feelings on the whole issue. Um, what do you think? I'm pretty much the same way. Like yeah. uh, the main issue I have is with people calling it scalping. Right. Um, trying to be like, oh, I can just get the PlayStation from a scalper for just as much money. Mm -hmm. What Best Buy isn't doing is really scalping at all. Um, scalping in the, really the sense of the word is taking a product you bought for 500 and upselling it for 700. And this is just numbers I'm using based on what we've been given so far with the Total yeah. Tech and Best Buy. The difference here is that there is no added benefit to you to be buying that console for $700, whereas with Best Buy's Total Tech program, you can get, uh, you will get added benefits to that, whether it's, you know, from what I've read, the protection base, the free services and everything like that. So there is positive benefits to doing it, but because everybody's still like, because these consoles are so hard to get right now, people are up in arms because you know, this, this isn't how they expected the future to be here. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of unfortunate as to like, you know, with, with a lot of these sites and everything like that, if you want to get a PS5 from Costco or Sam's club, you have to have the membership and whatnot, or you buy the, the temporary one. I'm not sure how they do memberships to be completely honest, yeah. but you know, this, this is how it works now. Everybody is trying to get you on a yearly subscription base with benefits that you want or make sense to you. And it's the same thing with Netflix. And I think you could even apply this to kind of the Disney Plus method here yeah. where you pay monthly for that. But if you want to watch a, a movie that's brand new, you have to pay $30 yep. in order to see some of those new movies. And I didn't hear anybody say this was scalping on that end of things. So even though yeah. technically you're paying closer to, you know, 30 to, you know, $60 to watch this movie because you only not only have to pay the base price, but also the subscription fee. So, you know, it's, it's not the coolest move. I can see where I can agree with people with that, especially with somebody who, uh, especially with people who don't have the extra $200 to get a console. I can see why that is uh, not a fair move on their part but it's it's not scalping. Yeah. I would say the only I would have an issue with it if they only sold consoles this way from here on out. 
right? Yeah. If like every time they sell an Xbox or PlayStation, you have to have the total tech membership, then I could see that that's a problem, right? But I don't think that's what they're doing. I think it's just going to be like select times and people are going to have to come to terms with the fact that they're probably going to do it again with the Xbox, probably graphics cards, I would imagine the Switch OLED maybe. Um, and then probably Black Friday deals in general, right? Um, I just think this is the way it's going to be for a lot of, you know, items that people really, really want. Um, and like you had said, there is other benefits to the program. It's not like they're just charging you $200 for the opportunity to buy an item. That's not what they're doing here. This is just kind of trying to entice people in a way to be like, here's one of a major benefit of getting it. Um, so I, I, again, don't have a huge problem with it as long as this isn't the norm for them to be yeah. every time we sell consoles, which I don't think they're going to do. Um, yeah, I mean, the the Disney Plus thing is a good point. Uh, paying $30 on top of your $10 a month subscription or whatever. And I know people were upset about that, but not to this extent. They were just kind of like, well, if you didn't want to pay that, you can wait. Usually it's like a month or two months, and then it's on Disney Plus anyway. Um, Black Widow is already on Disney Plus. Uh, even just today, when I put Netflix on, when I got home from work today, I had a pop up that was like, hey, do you want to watch Netflix in 4K for only four dollars more a month? <laughs> and yeah. I was like, uh, I don't know, maybe. I mean, I don't see that as like a insane thing to ask, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I know a lot of people are angry. I think it's probably going to calm down. And then once it happens again, people will be up in arms again. But I bet you they end up making a lot more sales on Total Tech now from people who will want it for the next time they do it. Yeah. Everybody's trying to cut a profit, whether yeah. it's scalpers, resellers, collectors in any way. Big corporations are no different. Nope. So you know, <laughs> any True. way to make it, they will. The last piece of news that I had was it was kind of surprising to see that the Squid Game director had initial issues with getting the script sold to people. Uh, he create he's been trying to sell the script for Squid Game for almost two, three, four years now, and it's it's also it's it's kind of a revelation in a way, and it's kind of funny where he never stopped trying to sell it, and eventually Netflix picked it up, and this is and now Squid Game is the most popular franchise on Netflix, yep. if not yet, it's going to be, and you know just it, it just goes to show, and maybe it's a small lesson here of like. Even if something isn't necessarily catching the ground just yet, you know, if you keep trying to go and keep trying to support it and give it your all, you know, eventually you it might see the light of day. And this director probably now is swimming in cash, I imagine. Yeah. And is probably and is probably really happy with how everything turned out. Uh, we talked about it on last episode. Uh, Squid Game is a fantastic show and people are watching it because it's a fantastic show and interesting concepts as well. So, Yeah, good for him. Good I for also him. read that and like just sticking with it and knowing that what he had was something special um, is cool to hear. So I'm glad he stuck with it and that all of us got to experience it because it is a phenomenal show. Exactly. We'll go ahead and go into games this week, which because it's release season, we got video games. Oh, yeah, we got some. <laughs> Uh, for me, it's going to be Metroid Dread, Far Cry 6, and as I mentioned at the top of news, Back for Blood Early Impressions. What did okay. you end up playing this week? I got some early Metroid Dread impressions, like early, early, just played today. 
um, some early Tales of Arise. I finished Alan Wake Remastered, and I did play the Battlefield beta. All right, so look at this. We got tons of games to yeah, talk we do. about here. Uh, I'll start off with Metroid Dread, and you said sure. you got very early impressions. Yeah, here. like half hour. <laughs> yeah, I, I've at least played for three hours, I okay. think. So... Metroid Dread, and if you guys have never heard of this, it's a Metroidvania type of game where you are a character on a 2D plane and you are kind of traveling through rooms, through dungeon type um, areas where you kind of clear them. You kind of get a power up to back travel back to somewhere else to unlock a new area. And that's kind of the Metroidvania-esque way. If you haven't heard of that term, if you've heard of Ori Will of the Wisps or Hollow Knight, those tend to be the two comparisons to a Metroidvania. And with Metroid Dread, I, it continues to be excellent in that type of genre of game. Uh, for me, I'm not the biggest fan of Metroidvanias. I did play Ori and have fun with it, but I had a hard time sticking with it. With Metroid Dread, uh, these first three hours have been phenomenally fun. Frustrating, but fun. Yeah. Um these these types of games aren't known for being easy. You know, it gives it has a lot of the feel of like the old Mega Man games as well, where, you know, you're it just instead of traveling through a stage of finding a boss, you kind of have to unlock a power and find your way to that boss eventually. Like I just happened to stumble across mine while while going around the area. But it's it's fun. You know, it's it's really it's really twitchy in a way where the counter, you know, they the counter that uh, Samus has, you have to press a button at a certain time. And if you get really good at it, it's super satisfying to pull off. The gameplay itself is fun. The The main thing I guess we will have a gripe with is Metroid Dread is running on the Nintendo Switch. And it runs pretty well, but it is not like this fantastic Dread, you know, set piece game in a way. It is a 2D side scroller in every sense of the word. And... Because of that, you know, you're going to have people that are immediately turned off because you're, they're going to see 2D side scroll and they're going to be like, oh, I'm not interested in this game. And maybe that's where people would really prefer to have like a Metroid Prime where it's this first person shooter things people are more used to now and like those type of games where, you know, Metroid Dread is a fantastic 2D side scroller. It's just too bad that because of the way this game is with its... Uh, it's side story. It, well, with the with the way the game is built, you're going to automatically have people who aren't interested in it at all. And that's what's kind of sad about Metroid Dread, because everything else is everything else is great about it. Other than the fact that a younger crowd probably is going to look at this game and go, I don't want to play that. Yeah, I think the 2D side scroller Metroidvania style game is, has made a little bit of a comeback. I played so much metroid on the nintendo when i was growing up as a kid and like immediately starting playing this game i was having like flashbacks to that and in a good way um so for somebody like me who grew up with the original which was a 2d side scroller um i appreciated that they took that formula and improved upon it the counter is a big help if i could have had a map when I was a kid of Metroid on the <laughs> Nintendo, my goodness, my life would have been so much easier because I never knew where I was supposed to go. And I think that's kind of the point of Metroid where you have to find your upgrades which will allow you to progress. Um, that's all the same with Metroid Dread. 
And again, I haven't played a whole lot yet, but like the counter feels good. Sliding feels good. Um, just shooting the enemies feels good. Uh, and I don't know the name of the robots. I, at least Emmy. right now. Yeah, I can't kill them as of yet. Uh, are very cool. It, it adds a little tense moment in there trying to get away from them. But I think it's a cool game. I think it'll do reasonably well. I just don't think it's going to be like a blockbuster hit for Nintendo, which is kind of a bummer because we could always use more Metroid. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the Emmy part. That's probably one of the most fun parts of the game. You know, as yeah. gamers, we're used to being able to destroy everything and do whatever we want to get past any challenge we can. With those robots, you know, there's this sense of urgency every time I get into one of those rooms where if it starts chasing me, all I all I know, all I can do is run. Yeah. And there's a chance that I can counter it. It's very slim. I will say I did it the first time. I'm not sure if it's uh, like meant to be done the <laughs> first time, but I did counter it and get away. That's really all you can do is just run and get away. And I really like that kind of tension it builds because of, you know, you, you know, you can't beat them. So you have to go around, run around and try to outsmart the robot in finding other ways to bait him so you can go behind him or something like that. It's yeah. it's fun. And one thing I will mention, because we haven't yet, Metroid games like this, Metroidvanias, are constantly known for backtracking. If you hate backtracking, you are not going to like this type of game. I'll say that out flat out right now. Is yeah. uh, There's going to be a lot of going back to previous areas, previous rooms, with your new power-up to get new paths. And if you don't like that, trust me, you're not going to like this game. Yeah, I'm hoping that I stick with it just for, for me, like enjoying metroid as a kid i have a history lately with metroidvanias of bouncing off of them super quick and not finishing them um so hopefully i do stick with it because i do enjoy the metroid universe if you will and samus but we will have to see if i actually end up finishing it or not um yeah. i want to talk about the uh, beta for battlefield did you play it at all or not I did not know, okay. but I've I've watched, trust me, a fair bit of videos when it comes to the uh, the impressions of it. So I, I feel okay. like I played it in a way. OK, um, I'll start by saying that I'm not the world's biggest Battlefield fan. Back in the day, you I felt like you had to choose that you were either a Battlefield guy or a Call of Duty guy. And there was no in between. Um, <laughs> and so I used to get in arguments with, you know, co-workers about they like Battlefield. I like Call of Duty, um, but I always played them. Uh, at least for a little bit. I will say that just judging off the beta, and obviously this is not the finished product, um, it doesn't look as good as I thought it would. Uh, and this is only one map. It's a very big map. It's a very impressive map. There's a lot of things going on. Uh, there's a lot of things that change on the map. The guns for me didn't feel great. Um, I think the class, picking a class is a little confusing. Um, there's like no recoil, at least from what I could tell. It was just very weird. I just, it doesn't seem finished. So I want to wait and see once the game actually comes out how it is, but I wasn't super impressed, honestly. And I don't know. I haven't checked to see how everybody else feels about it as far as like streamers and that kind of stuff. Yeah. From, from the opinions I've gathered is it does a few things good, you know, mm -hmm. like the, the grappling hook is a yeah. nice, uh, is a nice way to be able to get to snipers without being so obvious and especially if a sniper kind of has this one area like down pat and you're kind of forced to go through with the grappling hook it prevents 
it shows you another option to get to those kind of pesky snipers in a way, which is a, you know, that's still a problem that a lot of shooters do have yep. is, you know, kind of forcing people through a tunnel and snipers getting at them. You also have the weapon customization feature where I think that's probably the best feature they've added mm-hmm. where you can change your gun on the fly, which allows you to be, you know, first I can be more long distance because uh, that's what the battle requires from me. And then when I get inside a building, I can chase my change my gun to close quarters attachments. And I think that is an excellent way of yeah of of promoting liking a gun and also not having to have 17 different classes with three different guns. So that way, you know, oh, I need long range with this gun and then short range and all this. This is a nice, easy way to keep everything, uh, I think, digestible and make it so people can have more fun without bogging themselves down in menus. I agree. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not the world's biggest Battlefield fan. So, you know, me playing this game a bunch when it comes out is probably not accurate. I might play through the single player if they have one, um, but I don't see myself playing the multiplayer that long. So uh, with that, I'll go ahead and move to Back for Blood early impressions. Yeah, Uh, this is about for me half an hour to 45 minutes in. Uh, It's not starting off the best is what (laughs) I will say. Yeah. Um, Right when you start off, there's a cutscene which kind of doesn't make a lot of sense, but you're there. And it does this thing where you play one of the characters and the world is a hub. So uh, you kind of have your area to buy stuff and then your area to do campaign for right now. I'm not sure if they're going to be adding more as time goes on, but they might. With Back for Blood, I I do get a lot of Left for Dead feels that, you know, that's and that's a good thing, you know, the. The gunplay isn't necessarily crazy, but you're running around away from zombies and different types of zombies do different things. And I'm liking the the new exploration where, you know, apparently crows set off hordes of zombies. And I didn't know that. So I went to I approached some crows because I didn't know why they were all gathering. And then I just started getting bombarded by zombies. (laughs) And that new kind of exploration is fun with seeing how they're trying to change up the formula and make things different. The main part I'm having an issue with is it seems like it is so bogged down in menus where, you know, there is a specific shop area where you can buy these cards that allow you to set up um, different attributes to to the person you're playing as, whether it's faster reload speed or more health, but at the reduced cost of less melee damage, like there's all this stuff and it's. It's asking me right in the beginning to go, oh, go, go choose your cards. And it's like, I don't want to do that. I just want to play the game. Mm -hmm. And then it's asking you to create a a deck or a starter. And it's like, I don't want to do that. I just want to play the game like it. It it just seems to be getting in its own way of what people want to do, which is play this game co-op. I will say this game is very heavily based in co-op playing with friends and shooting zombies and running away from a horde that that's what people want to do and you're kind of bogging it down with all of these menus and everything like that and again i'm early in the game so i'm not sure and very early impressions in general i'm not sure if this gets better as long as i'm just playing with my friends but that's 
it, it people were so hyped for this game because they wanted it to be Left 4 Dead 4. And while I think a lot of that stuff is there, I also think it's been microtransaction and monopolized to hell. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I brought that up during the beta. Like, I think the card thing is so dumb. It's just so unnecessary. Um, just let us get into the co-op and let us have fun with our friends killing zombies. I don't need all that extra. Um, and I was hoping they would kind of iron that out by the time the game came out. Doesn't seem like they did. I'm still going to give it a try. Um at the very least, I think I'll play Absolutely. through. I'll play through the campaign, you know, and, and see the whole story there. But I don't know if it's going to be like Left 4 Dead one and two, where for me, where I was just playing the same levels for like a good year, I think, um, just over and over again, just because of how much fun it is. I don't see that kind of replayability and fun value out of this yet. It could get there though, mm-hmm. down the line. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping I find it. I'm hoping like the fun is there with my friends. Yeah. But the the whole buying cards and stuff, it it just you know what it reminds me of? It's Battlefield 2 when it first released and everybody hated the transactions yep. that happened with Battlefield 2. So, maybe maybe eventually they just take all that stuff out and they just make it very easy to modify your character and make him fun for you. Uh, but without having the need to unlock this or do this or earn this currency or buy this currency. So, yeah, you know, hopefully, hopefully they see that people don't want it. Yeah. Um, all right. Early impressions of Tales of Arise. Um, uh, about an hour in. I played a little bit last night. I played a little bit today. Um, I did actually get to fight. That was my issue last night. I didn't get to really do anything because <laughs> obviously JRPGs, the beginning is always cutscene, cutscene, cutscene. Yeah. Um, man, I get the I get the nostalgia JRPG PlayStation One, PlayStation Two era vibes from this game a lot, and I like that. Um, I think it looks beautiful. Uh, the the hand drawn animated cutscenes are very cool. Um, yeah. Very, you know, obviously anime style there, but um. I think it's pretty cool so far. The story is super confusing, which is what you always want from a JRPG. You never know what's (laughs) going on. Um, But I think the combat feels good. Like the uh, combo based works well for me for now. Um, I will say like full disclosure, I put it on for difficulty. I put it on the story mode because I didn't want to get frustrated with this game. I just wanted to experience it for what it is. And I've been having a blast so far, beating up knights and such and doing all that, all the combos. So I'm going to stick with it for sure. I know it's a super long game, so it may end up being a game that I don't finish until maybe next, maybe in January or February when it gets yeah, slow. Yeah. Because I mean, I don't know if I'm going to have 40, 50 hours with all these games coming out. I'm going to try, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> but you played a lot more than I have, right? Yeah, and one thing that I did want to mention, and I I got this from listening to the Firecast uh, mm-hmm. podcast, but Tales of Arise, you know what what you get with it is the J the JRPG anime Persona Five type of uh, type of story, character design, and everything like that. But when it comes to combat, that's where it becomes a lot different. Where and one of the hosts said it best, I think. It's his name is Mike, I think. Mm-hmm. Mike uh, Mahardy. Yep. Yeah, Mike Mahardy, you know, says that the combat is more like a devil may cry mm-hmm. in a way that as as you continue to go on uh, unlocking more abilities, it only becomes more fun in combat where, you know, 
in in early game and you'll try this out too craig um in order to like do the flashy attacks and everything like that like the and in order to earn more items and xp to get these flashy attacks you need to break the break is what it's called the enemy and in order to do that you kind of need to build up your combo meter so you start playing around with your special moves and after you do a regular combo you can special move special move special move and before you know it you're at 20 hits and yeah. I really like that aspect of the game is the the figuring out portion of the of what your moves can do and what you can combo it into, because even your ground variants of moves have air variants as well. And you add air variants so you can have an entire combo where you start out on the ground, push them into the air, combo them a bit more and then spike them down. And I think that's that is what I find most fun with the combat is the kind of the experience and exploration of playing with these moves. And when you, when you start like to, to find out what these moves can do and how you can combo them, it just becomes more satisfying because then you get your breaks and then you can do these cool flashy moves. So it, it, it's piece by piece. It kind of adds up into this culmination of a lot of fun. And, and as you get further into the game, you unlock more moves to play with. And that's that's the fun of it is, you know, changing your combat in ways and you don't have to be static. And on top of that, you can play as other characters and make combos for them and yeah. set them to do whatever you want to do, whether it's primarily healing or being defensive and everything like that. So the the combat has this level of deepness that you really you don't even find in Persona 5 because Persona 5 is turn based yep. and this is more action based. And if and, you know, if. Devil May Cry is a good way to put it, but I think I could also put it in the Kingdom Hearts type of combat where it's not a command deck, but it's still like pressing a button in order to attack and deliberately choosing your next button in order to do something else. Yeah, I like that. Especially JRPGs have figured out a way to take what worked with old style turn based RPGs and figure out a way to make it more fast paced. I love turn-based RPG. I love Final Fantasy. I love all that. Yeah. But yeah. being able to turn it so that like I'm still going into a battle like you are in Tales, but then being able to run around and combo and all that, like that just keeps you engaged the whole time. Um, yeah. So I, I like the move to kind of move away from turn-based a little bit. You can still have your games so you, that use that. That's fine. But I think this might be the better way to go for the future. Yeah. And... You know, th there still is a place for turn-based combat. It yeah. doesn't always have to be like this. I like the fact that I went from turn-based Persona 5, which is a bit more slower in a way and can be as slow as I want it to be, mm -hmm. to this fast-paced Tales of Arise. So there's a balance that can be struck between every type of JRPG. And with Shin Megami Tensei 5 coming out later this year, that's going to be turn-based, and I know it is. So it's just a matter of that just has to find the balance of being fun turn-based. That's all yeah. it has to do in order to be fun. Yeah. But so far it's been great. So I'm I'm excited that I, I'm not just immediately being like, all right, bounced off, move on. <laughs> exactly. I do I do find it fun. If if you ever want to laugh, you can go into the uh Tales of Arise reviews on Steam and it's just like seven hundred comments of Shion is my waifu, Shion is this, <laughs> Shion is that. It's funny. Uh but you know, I've I was hyped for Tales of Arise, and it's. I'm glad it's not only lived up to my excitement of it, but it's lived up to yours as well. Yeah, it's been fun. 
next up is going to be for me Far Cry 6. Now, yes. I'm I'm going to be flat out here and I'm going to explain one. This is kind of my first Far Cry in a while. I barely played even three, four or five and never played one or two. Um, the reason Far Cry 6 spoke out to me is because of the Spanish Yarin Cuban influence that it has in its game. And it has that in spades. And I kind of spoke about it with Miles Morales. I'm going to be biased with that type of game. <laughs> like, I really yeah. like Far Cry 6 because it has the the Spanish culture that I like so much. It has licensed songs. It has the Spanglish, you know, where the characters speak in Spanish and then the subtitles have the English translation and then also speak English as well. I just I love it because it's it's what I grew up with, the Spanglish type of version of Spanish. And with that, Far Cry 6 is this, you know, it's it's a lot of fun just for me. And I know that this game is getting a lot of, you know, negative comments for the fact that it's just another Far Cry. And I think that's why I'm different on my opinion on it is because it's my first one in a while. Uh, but I enjoy all the fun I'm having with, you know, the guns, the wacky characters, the the in the kind of nonsense fun I can have with it. it it's worth it to me. And the the story kind of takes does it takes minimal attention. It I don't have to pay that much attention to it in order to understand what's going on. And with that, like. I guess I can recommend Far Cry 6 if you're you haven't played Far Cry in a while. But if you've played all of the Far Cries before and you think you're going to be burned out on it, I'm going to I think you're going to be burned out on Far Cry 6 as well. Yeah, this is the first game of the holiday season of games that I have sacrificed um, just because of the sheer amount of games coming out and having played every single version of Far Cry that's come out since the first one. Um, I know I'm going to have fun with it. I feel like I might end up getting burnt down on it like I did with five Far Cry five um, and new dawn. So it was the first one that I was like, I'm going to hold off. You get the feeling like this is a game that'll probably be $30 in the black Friday area of next month. Um, I might pick it up then, but I'll definitely try it. Um, but it was the one that I was like between tales and, and finishing Alan Wake and then Metroid coming out and all these other games still coming. It was, you know, one that I'm okay with waiting on for now. Uh, and based on everybody else's opinions too, who have played a lot of far cry. Um, it, it seems like for them, it's like, yeah, this is just more far cry in a different setting. Yeah. What, what I will say is the game does change a little bit up. Uh, like first off, it's not a skill tree type of thing, mm -hmm. uh, type of game. It's gear, and that's going to turn off people uh, in in a lot of ways. But what I will say is the gear is finite. It's not like you're picking up 12 different versions of a vest that have plus 6 defense, minus 6 attack, that kind of thing, where games like Avengers and Destiny have that. It, it's not like that in Far Cry, which that's the kind of gear system I don't mind. It It's all grayed out. You can see how much gear and guns you can collect, and as long as that amount isn't overwhelming to you, uh, it can be fun to just travel around Yara, the the world, the game's world, and find stuff and experiment to see what works with you. And then on top of that, they've really uh, like what's new is the buddy system where, you know, you if you're more attack style, you can have a crocodile and you can send him out to chew up opponents. If you're more stealthy, you can have a little 
you know, dog named Chorizo, I think, and it's in a wheelchair and he distracts enemies. So that way you can come up and uh, and stealth kill them, which I think I, I think that's a good way of balancing it. Not everybody has friends to play Far Cry with. And this makes it more so to where you almost have a teammate that you could direct and tell it to do what you want it to do and have that character played how you want to play. Um, and both of these additions I'm having fun with. And again, it's my first Far Cry in a while. Uh, and your opinion may be different on that kind yeah. of thing. But regardless, I, I enjoy what Far Cry 6 has brought to it. And the world they build is gorgeous. The game looks fantastic. And they... I'm not sure if it's just what the game has done or if I'm just noticing it, but the motion capture for this game is very good. Like there are details in the characters' faces that I don't see in other games that are even released today. So good on good on them for that because the cutscenes are the cutscenes can be traumatic and cheesy, but the the message hits when they're when the cutscenes happen. Cool. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out for sure. Uh, all right, so Alan Wake remastered. I did finish. Um, I stuck to my guns on finishing this um, final impressions here from somebody who absolutely loves this game. It's probably in my top 10 of all time, somewhere around there, maybe top 15. Um, it's still a great game. I think with Alan Wake, you have to be willing to go into that world and want to know more about that world. There's so many, like since he's a writer, the whole thing is he's writing this horror story and you're finding the pages, the manuscripts all over the world, and you get those and you read those, um, or they're read to you because they are voiceover. There are radios you find that'll give you clues about the people in the town. There's TVs that have like these TV shows. Um, there's so much to like, if you really want to dive in, there's QR codes that lead you to YouTube videos. Um, it's just all this stuff that will, if you want to, learn about that world and really like get into it, you can. And I think that's why I like really, really loved this game. Um, if you're not into that, it's probably going to seem generic to you. Uh, yeah. You know, the combat is literally you shine the light until it breaks their shield, the darkness, and then you shoot them with pistol, shotgun, flare gun, uh, hunting rifle, all that kind of stuff. And it's, that's what you're doing the whole game um, that never changes. So I still think it's a great game. I still think people should try it. But if you're going into it as like, uh, I want an action horror type game, I don't think you're going to be as in love with it as I am. Uh, the remaster is good. It looks great. It ran great. I didn't have any issues. Um, yeah, I think it's well worth the 30 bucks or yeah, I think it's 30 that they're charging. Um, I had a blast. So it'll probably end up somewhere on my list for this year, more than likely unless it gets bumped by the millions of other games still to come out. But yeah. I had a blast. So definitely still recommend doesn't change my opinion as it was last week. Fantastic. Yeah. The world of like Alan Wake has always been something that like interested me. And I thought it was mm -hmm. more of a horror game when I was growing up because mm -hmm. uh, dark flashlight shadows, Ew, I'm scared. Um, I'm still just as much of a baby, but I know Alan <laughs> Wake isn't really a horror game anymore. Um, yeah. With, with that, like I, it, uh, for the life of me, I one day I want to play like Alan Wake and Control because aren't yep. those two games related in a way? And I imagine the remaster only makes them more related. Yeah, Remedy does a good job of tying their games together. So when Alan Wake came out, there's tiebacks to Max Payne, um, quite a few throughout there. And then I think Control had some. I remember an Alan Wake something in Control. 
So they, okay. they have a way of tying everything in. Yeah, but, you know, for for the life of me, I, I definitely need to play their games. I only hear great things, but yeah. again, like you sacrificed or, <laughs> yeah, you sacrificed Far Cry. Yep. I guess I sacrificed Alan Wake here. That's fair. So, yeah. Uh, hopefully I can get it when, uh, when when the game is available, just because I, I haven't seen a lot of copies in the wild. Yeah. So if digitally is always I, an option, I guess I yeah, like physical. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. I, I want to get it physical. That's for sure. Only yeah. select games will I ever try to go digital with. And, and especially if I don't have a choice. But, Correct. Uh, that. Yeah, I don't have any more games. How about yourself? Nope, nope that was all it. right with with games. We're done. And now we're on to movies, which for me, <laughs> I finally saw it, ladies and gentlemen. I yes. was one of the first people in the movie theater. I saw James Bond. No time to die. I do. And that's really is it, is it wrong to to picture you like an hour before the movie starts, just sitting there, like just waiting? <laughs> you know, I was I was at the movie theater an hour early because I, okay. I I went to a pretty early showing uh, mm-hmm. on on Friday when the movie came out. But so not a lot of people were in the movie theater, which thank goodness. Yeah, um, I can't. I, I'm not a big fan of like cramped spaces, like a super cramped movie theater. I've only really done it for Avengers Endgame and yep. Star Wars. And I was afraid it was going to be the same for uh, uh, James Bond. Now, the seven o'clock showing on the premiere date was definitely a lot busier. I'll tell you that when I got out of there. Yeah. But um, what, what did you end up watching before I get too much? Into no, you're, you're good. The die. only thing I mean, I watched the movies, but I didn't actually finish them. So the only thing for me on my list is Ted Lasso. OK, yeah. And we can both Finishing talk about Ted Lasso. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so give me the bond. Uh, I want to hear it. Yeah. So no time to die. Now, this is Daniel Craig's final and fifth installment in his character of uh, James Bond. And, you know, it's it's hard for me kind of to describe. I I love Daniel Craig, James Bond. Um, He's this sort of edgier, not as he's not, you know, all about being suave and doing like cheesy one liners. They're still (laughs) cheesy one liners in his movies, but they aren't like this prevalent thing. in no time to die of I have to I'll start off. This is a long movie and it feels long because there are action sequences, uh, you know, like development, action, development, action. Like you kind of have to get through the slower scenes to appreciate the action and kind of understand where Daniel Craig's James Bond is coming from. For the most part, and, and you know, I'm kind of surprised to hear that people hate this movie, but <laughs> I I'm not a movie critic and I'll say that out in any way. Uh, No time to die is a lot of fun for me. Um, I've watched all of Daniel Craig's James Bond since to see him come in here and have this kind of final marking piece to it. It's, it's an event for me and I really enjoyed what Daniel Craig and what the writers did with it. Yes, there are some, you know, plot holes in the way that they do it. But, you know, there are reports coming out that the script wasn't done until after the movie was done filming, which I don't even know how that works. <laughs> yeah, how's that happen? <laughs> so, it, you know, there is a lot of turmoil that came with this movie, but um, I personally went into the theater to have a fun time and to get this sent farewell to Daniel Craig's James Bond, and I got it. Um you know, there there are so many action sequences here and they change it up in so many ways. You know, the everybody's talking about um, the five minute fight scene with Daniel Craig and Ana de Armas character. 
Uh, it's so much fun. It, uh, like that is the highlight of the movie for me, but the action keeps me what's going further. And, you know, it's nice to see, uh, girls kicking ass in a James Bond movie. We really don't, yeah. we really haven't seen that too much. And this is the first movie that's kind of done that with Madeline Swan. James's love interest kind of can take care of herself. The new 007 is a complete and utter, you know, badass in every way. And, the Ana de Armas character, she's flashy and fun as well, and she's new and fresh. So, like, there's there's all this good stuff that we get with this movie that I guess other people are taking for granted, maybe, or just kind of stale and not fun with it. But um, I find the movie a lot of fun. I like the gadgets that they employ. I do wish sometimes there were more gadgets that Daniel Craig's James Bond would use, but that's not really what this version of James Bond had led into, but I, uh, I really, really did enjoy this movie and I, I hope people go and enjoy it. Uh, if I were to rank it, I'd go Casino Royale, which is the first one for me, which is my favorite. And then I could probably switch no time to die and Skyfall, depending on the day. And then Spectre and Quantum of Solace. You guys can forget Quantum of Solace if I'm going to be completely honest. But, yeah. it, I don't know um, what you're talking about. I've never heard of that movie. I, I, see, there we go. Exactly. <laughs> but um, if you've watched the other James Bond movies, I feel like you can come in here and have a lot of fun with what uh, with what this final movie is. If you haven't watched the other James Bond movies, I feel like you're going to be lost um, okay. in, in a way that probably won't make it fun to you. The action sequences will still be fun. But those slower paced seams are going to feel even slower. That's interesting because usually I, I've always looked at James Bond movies as like you could watch any of them and really understand and be fine without having to see yeah. any of the other yeah. ones. So it's interesting that they go that way. But I feel like all the Daniel Craig movies have kind of tied together anyway. Um, yeah. Like Pierce Brosnan Bond movies are my childhood. And like you can just pick one of those randomly and watch it and be fine. Um, they never tied together, really. Uh, but they were also super cheesy and all that good stuff. But I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he got a good send off, at least. And, you know, it is probably not probably it is time that the women in the Bond movies were more than just the the side pieces to look at, because that's what they were from the 60s up until really now. Right. Yeah. So it's good that they've done that. I'm excited to see it. I don't know if I'm going to see it in theaters or not. Um, we'll see. It's just based on how long it is. I may wait to watch it at home just because I don't really feel like sitting in a theater that long, but I might. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it is a long movie and I do see people's quarrel with, with it, but you know, if they kind of figured if Endgame can do it, why can't they? Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, do you want to talk about Ted Lasso? Yeah, let's talk about Ted Lasso. We're done with season two is over. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say season two is better than season one. What do you think? I have to agree. Now, yeah. what they do, season one does better, I think, in the comedy yeah, sort of version, agreed. where season two tends to continue the more serious tones. Of, yeah, you kind of you kind of forget it's a comedy based show in season two, just because there's so much deep dark stuff that they're dealing with with almost every character. Yeah, um, and like with that, I think. Like in season two, like the main characters each get their time to go through what they're going through. Like, I'm glad that none of these characters feel rushed 
into the yeah. problems that they have and want to go th- uh, and, and go through. And let me just see here. Uh, spoilers from here on out. Yeah, we're yeah, gonna, yeah. yeah, we're, we're going to talk spoilers. If if you haven't watched Ted Lasso, Craig and I will say you should watch it. It is 100 percent. Yeah, it's yep. such a good TV show. And the writing is what makes it fun and impeccable. And to be honest, like it's more than just a comedy and it's more than yep. just um, it's more than just kind of this serious tone that we keep talking about with season two. Yeah, but, I would say that you do get a pretty much every almost every character kind of gets their time to shine. The only one that I felt like I didn't really need was Coach Beard. Yeah, um, I mean, he had his own episode and like he's one of my favorite characters just because his ability to just kind of be in the background of a scene and just make you die laughing. Um, I just didn't think we really needed that whole side story with him in that episode. Um, but everybody else, like I think it was well-deserved and it really makes you care. Like you do the whole 180 switch on Jamie Tart and liking him again yeah. in this season. So it, it's, you know, there's a lot going on there and you know, you get a 180 on uh Nate, the great as well. <laughs> yeah and you know we, we've been avoiding it but uh yeah. you know nate's character development this season yeah it, it was it was really well written mm-hmm. and i loved what they did with his character and if again spoilers nate ends up betraying um coach lasso in a way where he goes and tells the reporter that he had a panic attack when he told everybody mm-hmm. else that it was just a stomach ache and then on top of that um he kind of lashes out at Ted about not giving him enough attention and taking credit for the stuff that he does only to uh, go and join um, West Ham United to be the yeah. coach of the of the new t- of West Ham United, where the owner is. What's her name? I'm I'm the so ex-husband mad. of. Um, yeah, I always forget her name. Rebecca. Rebecca. Yes. Yep. The owner yep. of uh, a- AFC Richmond. Yep. So it's. I'm the way they wrote it. I'm only more excited for what season three actually is going to come with. I can't. I, I wonder where I wonder where they're going to take it because they could possibly just have so much fun and make yeah. it funny with yeah. season three because of what they're writing and everything like that with season two. So I'm I'm inter, uh I'm I really want to see what happens with season three and hopefully it just comes out next year. But who knows how long it takes to yeah, I mean, you you at the end of the season get AFC Richmond getting promoted to the Premier League where West Ham is. And like your immediate thought is, all right, well, they're obviously going to be setting up AFC Richmond and West Ham meeting each other. And it's Coach Lasso versus Nate head to head. But I think it could also be cool if if you kind of set up this, you know, this is Nate's shot because he thinks he's so much better than Ted to run his own team. And I think it would be hilarious just to see him fail you know, and just yeah. absolutely be awful. I don't think that's the direction they're going to go. Um, but they did such a good job writing his turn that like, I can't remember for a long time thinking of a character in a TV show that I hated more than him. Yeah. And that's, you know, a testament to the writing, but also the way he's acting because he's so convincing that he is just the worst human being on the planet. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Like it's, I enjoy that. I enjoy feeling that kind of anger from watching a character on a TV show. Yeah. And you know, the, the kind of the tipping point with me is, you know, Nate admits to Roy that he kissed his, his girlfriend or fiance (laughs) and, and Roy just goes, okay, dude, it's a mistake. Don't worry about it. Like, 
Roy's trying to like change himself. He doesn't, he, he's trying not to be this angry, you know, angry Englishman all the time. So, and Roy doesn't see Nate as a threat. And that's yeah. why he says, okay, you know, it's, you know, mistakes happen, you know, um, they, him and his girlfriend talked about it and then they moved on. And I, th- that was, I think that was like, that was just like a hint yep. into into like Nate's turn right before he lashes out at Ted Lasso. Yeah. Which, you know, that's a scene in itself to talk about the whole, you know, lashing out at Ted for, you know, what Nate thinks Ted did wrong and why he doesn't belong to be in, uh, or a coach of an English team, which he, he goes in. Yeah, he uh, does. He goes off on him. I yeah. thought, you know, the way Roy and, uh, Nate, that whole thing with him kissing his girlfriend, Keely, um, you're just off of him dealing with Jamie saying that he still loved Keely and how upset that made Roy. But it was just like the ultimate dig at Nate just to be like, yeah, I'm not worried about you at all. You like yeah. you literally have zero chance of taking my girlfriend. And like that is just <laughs> like the biggest sting that you could think of to somebody's ego, you know, because yeah. in, in his mind, he was like, yeah, I, I could have a chance with her. But it's literally him bringing him back down to earth and be like, you have zero shot, my guy yeah <laughs> it was that was that was tough <laughs> yeah they, and and that's why we're saying to watch it like it, yeah. it it is such a fun one and i will say one of the and you did mention like uh coach beard like yeah. his i i just wonder what they're gonna do with him mm-hmm. like they had that all whole episode of him you know trying to figure out what he's gonna do about his girlfriend and then they just kind of 360 that and he's still having issues with his girlfriend, like to the final episode, still having yep. issues. So I don't really get it. I do get that that whole episode is kind of an artistic piece mm-hmm. in a way for Beard. Uh, but r- regardless, that was uh, Ted. Ted Lasso season two was worth a watch. That is 100 oh, sure. percent. You could get through both of those seasons in a couple days, honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, I worth- feel like good. I was going to say, I feel like it's it's a it's a binge worthy show, but it's going to take you a while to binge it. Like you're going to go through a range of emotions. For, <laughs> yeah. For Ted yeah. Lasso. Yeah. That first season is more lighthearted for most of it. Um, so you can probably get through that a lot quicker. But man, that second season will hit you hard sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> but that's going to be the end of the podcast. Uh, thank you guys for listening and we hope you guys enjoyed. If you did enjoy, please make sure to share it with your friends that like video games and movies. We appreciate anybody who listens and is giving us the time of day in a way. If you guys don't mind, we would really appreciate if you guys would review our podcast on your preferred listening device. It helps not only like with ratings, with giving us four or five stars or what we have to work on doesn't always have to be perfect, but it tells us what we need to work on and helps the algorithm suggest our podcast to new listeners, which we would really appreciate. We always just want to grow the community and uh, make things uh, just bigger, just in general. I'd, I'd really love to see where we could take the podcast. And yep. if you're interested in uh, getting in touch with us, we run an Instagram, uh, Facebook, and a Twitch where I'm we're pretty active on all three. And if you're interested in having like or have a question about a video game or something that you think we could, we'd read. We'll read it on air. Uh, it's just high sensitivity podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, send us and those questions. We need them. Yeah, we we're running out of content. Let's be honest. Here. <laughs> with, with all the games, we just have nothing else. So, you know, there's no questions to talk about. So. Yep. Uh, with that, thanks again for listening and we'll see you guys next time. See you later. Mm-hmm.